Welcome to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Bogelsang. And for all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience, the term home ec, you know, of course, home economics, may conjure traumatic memories of lopsided hand-sewn pillows or sunken muffins. But the common conceptions obscure the real story and value of the once-revolutionary science of better living. The field exploded opportunities for women in the 20th century by reducing domestic work and providing jobs as professors, engineers, chemists, and business people. And according to our Smithsonian Associates guest today, author Danielle Dreilinger, it has something to teach us today that everyone should learn how to cook a meal, balance their bank account, and fight for a better world is something we probably all can agree on. Danielle Dreilinger will be appearing at Smithsonian Associates coming up, so check out our website for more information. But we have Danielle Dreilinger today, and we'll talk about her new book, The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. And Danielle Dreilinger will trace the fields of home economics, all of the history behind it, the achievements of the women in it, all of whom had storied careers as chemists, marketers. They studied nutrition. They studied health and exercise. They tested parachutes, created astronaut food, and took bold steps in childhood development and education. I asked Danielle Dreilinger to read a section from her book, and she's going to do that in just a moment, and she's going to introduce it to us, too. Danielle, take it away. This section is about space food, uh, and the U.S. Air Force dietitian B. Finkelstein. We mock space food today as freeze-dried ice cream and tang, but as the U.S. raced to catch up with Sputnik, space food emerged as a fascinating engineering problem complicated by human nature. Military dietitians had already learned that rations had to taste good or people would just stop eating, putting missions at risk. Through research, Finkelstein quickly found that isolation and seclusion made people eat differently. When men were locked up together, they became everything from fixated on food to territorial to not hungry at all. Eating alone in the dark, as one might in a single-person space capsule, ham on rye tasted literally like chicken on white. Then there were physiological unknowns. Would digestion work properly in weightlessness? Would astronauts get space sick? How much of various nutrients to the microgram did humans need? Finally, there were the daunting engineering issues of zero gravity, waste, and the cost of every ounce of weight in the capsule. A crumb could be deadly. Floating around, it could easily clog an important apparatus such as the astronaut's breathing system. Nor was the challenge confined to the time and space. Astronauts would have to be quarantined afterwards so they could be observed. There might be space germs, no one knew for sure. Special diets had to start three days before takeoff, prepared to clinically antibacterial standards, for it would be awful if an astronaut got food poisoning in space. That diet also had to be what was delicately called low residue, because early space suits left no room for defecation. An astronaut got tea or coffee at that last breakfast only if it did not, shall we say, pop his escape hatch. The space program knew that danger, alas, from experience. Shortly before starting a delayed 1957 test in a balloon capsule, a frustrated Lieutenant Colonel David Simons grabbed two cups of machine-vended reconstituted thin potato soup and trapped in his suit was racked with nearly intolerable intestinal pains. 
Like a man with a gold nugget and a hot penny in his hand, I couldn't let go of one without dropping the other, he wrote. So Finkelstein concocted high-protein slurries in her rose-pink kitchen lab at the Air Force Research Headquarters in Dayton, Ohio, trying the flavors on volunteers. Surprisingly, by the end of a very few days, most of the men grew to like strange blends of strained meat and concentrated ice cream, a journalist wrote. Some of the subjects stated that they had never felt better in their lives. Then Finkelstein began testing menus on the astronauts. Oregano seasoned pea puree, tomato blended with rosemary and thyme, baked chicken breast. The astronauts sat in their civvies, colorful printed short-sleeved shirts, at her Formica table at Cape Canaveral, sipping from glasses and eating off trays with silverware as Finkelstein looked on in her white lab coat, beaming. They called the lab Bee's Diner. One of the astronauts' wives complained that her husband now talked incessantly, not about mom's cooking, but about the way Bee fixes it. That, of course, is our guest today, author Danielle Dreilinger, reading from her new book, The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harnessed the Power of Home and Changed the Way We Live. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast author and Smithsonian Associate, Danielle Dreilinger. Danielle Dreilinger, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. I, you know, I'm really excited about this subject. We're going to talk about your new book, The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. I love that title. I love the word, I love the word secret in there too. I think we're going to learn a lot from you today. I think especially we'll learn about home ec. I'm going to call it home ec because I think everybody in my generation might know it that way. It certainly Oh, completely. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't diminish it in any way, but there was this stereotype as I was growing up around the home ec major or around home ec. Did did that stereotype hurt the image of the field of study of home economics, do you think? Oh, yes. Ab- absolutely, right? Mm-hmm. So Becky Homecky, I've heard. Uh, <laughs> right, leave it right. to Beaver, right? June Cleaver, yeah. the uh, yeah, housewife yeah, yeah. in her heels with her apron. Maybe or maybe it's the Mad Men version, right? The alcoholic uh, feminine mystique. Uh, yeah, so what's fascinating to me is that home economics, you know, that's how we think of it, right? And it certainly did have that phase, and I really looked into how that came about. But home economics started as a field for career women, and they were looking at bringing science into the home to make it faster and easier and healthier to get your housework done so that you could do other things. And they wanted to create a range of jobs for women where women would be accepted. And yet, you know, the sad irony is that what we we know of it today as the you know ultimate housewife's major, right? Like for people getting their MRS degree. And it has really hurt the field, I think, because you know, it became very easy to reject. Yeah, you you mentioned Leave It to Beaver and June Cleaver and and I do think this has always been portrayed certainly as a white only female stereotype. That wasn't the case. But certainly that, that was just not the case that you make in your book, but why why were black women left out of this equation of home ec and home economics? So home economics, the very first book of what was then called domestic economy was published in the early 1840s. And then it was in the 1890s that the field was renamed home economics and you know, be, began 
let me pause for a second. So the field, home economics began in the 1840s uh, in form and then really took hold in the 1890s. And, you know, America being America, it was segregated and the field was, had plenty of black women in it, but they were marginalized. So for instance, I write about Margaret Murray Washington. She ran home economics at Tuskegee for about 30 years. She was married to Booker T. Washington. She had earned an English degree from Fisk University and then just became completely caught up in the Tuskegee and Hampton model of doing vocational education as well as academics and finding, you know, not only economic value, but moral value in these vocational pursuits. Uh, And she was not invited, however, to the first big home economics conference, which ran for 10 years starting in 1899, because that was at Lake Placid at the uh, Dewey's Resort. That would be Dewey of the Decimal System. And it was segregated. Uh, They did not allow African-Americans. They did not allow Jews. And that really started home economics off on the segregated path. So you had all of these black colleges and universities, and eventually you had entirely black branches of the extension system of 4-H of the future homemakers of America in the South that were segregated. And this did not uh, end until the 1960s. This did not end until you know the rise of the civil rights movement of that era. Uh, and it has taken... Uh, I think it's taken people a while to recognize, but now in the field, they really do recognize the immense value and role that black women played throughout the decades. And this is the secret part that you refer to in your title, the secret history of home economics. Is that right? The history of black women being marginalized and left out. Oh, it's the, well, there's, that's not the only secret. Uh I mean, the, uh There is so much that was not known. So, I mean, the biggest thing that people don't know about home economics is that it was started by scientists. (laughs) It was started by educators. One of the founders of home economics was the first woman to attend MIT. She was a chemist. She was a public health researcher. She researched uh, water quality. And then she began to look at how her work would be able to affect everyday women and make their lives more scientific. So, I mean, there's just, there's such a large role that home economics has played in American history of the 20th century that, I mean, I certainly didn't know it before I started researching the book. And it's something I've, I mean, it's something I'm very excited to bring to people. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with Danielle Dreilinger. Danielle Dreilinger will be at the Smithsonian Associates Program coming up. Danielle Dreilinger is author of the great new book. Danielle, it's getting great reviews online everywhere I found it just being raved about. But the title again is The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power 
of home and change the way we live. I wonder, Danielle Dreilinger, are, are home economics courses still taught at universities or, or have they all been dropped or are the, the names have, have the names all been changed? So the names have all been changed, which is why people think that home economics has disappeared. Yeah. Uh, back in you, we were speaking about stereotypes and stigma and reputation back in the early 90s. Well, starting in the late 60s, college departments of home economics began changing their names, uh, searching for more respect, pushing against the stereotypes. And the sort of high school, middle school, extension level of the field followed suit in the 90s. So it is often called family and consumer sciences now, FCS Mm. or FACS. It might be called human ecology. It might be called human sciences. It's there, but there still were, I mean, last I checked, about 100 colleges and universities in the United States that offered a major in some form of home economics. And that is, you know, nothing compared to the number of fields that came out of home economics, such as, you know, nutrition, dietetics, hotel management, textiles, early childhood education, like all of those degrees, of course, are mainstream and widespread. But they're still, I mean, the classes still exist in middle school and high school. They might be called life and careers. They might be vocational classes where, you know, you get your restaurant serve safe certificate, for instance. <laughs> And you've re- you've read a section of the book, which was 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 so kind of you, and so so generous, and I, I love that that part of the book and and your section that you talk about the nutrients of space food. You know, all of these scientific properties. You know, zero gravity, the weight, could the crumb, you know, be be deadly? You know, space germs. All of this stuff is very science oriented. I, I even thought as I was doing some research on this, some of this could even be. STEM related, you know, STEM related classes that now are replacing what was what were known as home economics. But the science, the nutritional science component of all this is very important. And I think that was lost on me as I began kind of looking into this a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And some people do uh, say to you know, home economics, the original STEM class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just makes sense. You You think about you know, all of the science related things that food now represents for us. And, um, you know, we have to know these things. You have this really great sense of humor about this. And I I wonder if you'll tell us a little bit more about some of the uncelebrated women who impressed you in in your research, because, you know, they they were women who were often barred from male dominated careers. But what did you learn and who really impressed you, who jumped out at you as being just so unique and wonderful that uh, requires a little bit of mention here? Wow. Well, so many of them were, so many of these women were completely fascinating and just extraordinarily accomplished. Uh, For instance, there's Flemmy Kittrell. Uh, She grew up near where I now live in North Carolina. And she, you know, she originally thought that you know, home economics was was boring. She thought, well, you know, the home was boring. And then she read a biography of Ellen Richards, who went to MIT, and she had her mind open of all of the ways that you could change society through the home. She uh, was the first black woman to earn a doctorate in home economics. She was the first black woman to earn a doctorate at Cornell. Uh, she went on to lead home economics at a bunch of universities. Uh, eventually, she went up was at Howard University, and she became this global educator and researcher. She 
did nutritional studies in various countries in Africa. She had an early, she got an early Fulbright and she went and helped establish schools of home economics in India, in various countries in Africa. And she was just this, this, this global traveler. And she engaged in this like very quiet civil rights activism. Uh, she went to South Africa during apartheid as this, you know, celebrated black woman. She went and met with, uh, miners in the, one of the townships and told them that she would tell America about their plight. She just did these extraordinary things. And she was, I mean, she, she literally, she was officially retired when she passed away, which I have learned that home economists kind of don't really retire. Uh, but she literally passed away at a business meeting. She just was working towards the end. And she had another Fulbright application in when she died because she wanted to take another trip. Wow. Yeah, it's just a fascinating subject. Of course, Danielle Dreilinger has been our guest today, author of the great new book, The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. Lots of changes have taken place, but one one still seems to be in place. Women still do the lion's share of this oh, yes. work. I think it. It's uh, yeah. How do we? How do we balance some of this better? Working families are are so busy today. The skills that are taught are definitely you know not male, not female necessarily, but women still do this work, and so we we ought to get better at balancing this stuff. How how do you suggest we do that? Right. Well, it, and it absolutely true. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has any number of time use studies showing that women still do the lion's share of the work at home and, you know, heterosexual partnerships. So, you know, at the end of the book, I talk about how to bring back home economics, which I mean, as a journalist, I am not comfortable being an advocate, but just everybody I talked to said, oh, we should bring that back. Just everybody, you know, random people who I would like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm working on this book about home economics. We should bring that back. And I think that it does have a role to play in helping with this, you know, enduring gender gap in who gets the work done of the house. Because you're right, there's nothing gendered about home management. Like there's nothing gendered about making a budget or figuring out what to eat for dinner or doing all of the work of figuring out what to eat for dinner. But, you know, families don't have, I think it's, there was an argument from way on back in the day that home economics was too important to be left to parents. And to be sure, the earliest people saying this were, this came first from uh, Catherine Beecher, who wrote the first domestic economy book in the 1840s. She was a teacher and a principal and a school founder and, you know, really looked down her nose at parents' ability to teach. But more pragmatically and less condescendingly, parents do a million things already, right? Parents do a million things and they're just trying to get through the day. And as much as any individual person might want to, like, teach their sons how to do the laundry, there's enormous cultural pressures that go into this as well, right? To say nothing of things like men get paid more on average, so their careers tend to get prioritized more and so on. So yes, I think that home, ec home economics absolutely has a role in just teaching boys how to do the stuff around the house and sensitizing them to that work and 
that way, you know, at the very least, right, you won't get into that situation where the woman notices first that something needs to be cleaned or the guy doesn't do the laundry right. And so why would you, you know, I'll just do it my speaking as a woman, right? Like, oh, I'll just do it myself. So, yeah, I think and yeah, boys love boys take home economics and they love it. And when I was interviewing middle school boys, I said, oh, you know, this used to be a class that only girls took, which like legally is no longer possible. Thank you. to Thanks to title title nine. Uh, but then they just said, that's ridiculous. Like, why would this be just for girls? Everybody needs to know how to do oh, this. Yeah, gosh, most definitely. I do the laundry in our house. My mother-in-law was a long time um, just an excellent seamstress and, and she sewed costumes and she taught me how to hem pants. And uh, honestly, I, I think that's one of the things my wife probably loves about me is I'm willing to take on some of those things <laughs> and I, I actually enjoy it. I think it's worth learning this stuff. But Danielle Dreilinger, excellent new book. Of course, Danielle Dreilinger has been our guest today. We'll be at the Smithsonian Associates coming up. Check our website for more information about Danielle Dreilinger and her upcoming Smithsonian Associate presentation, as well as Danielle's website, information about her new book, The Secret History of Home Economics, How Trailblazing Women Harness the Power of Home and Change the Way We Live. Danielle Dreilinger is the American South storytelling reporter at USA Today, been our guest today. Thanks for reading to us today. Hope your the rest of your day goes well, and we'll be thinking about you as we kind of do these these tasks around the house all the time now. But gosh, thank you for your chip. Thanks for the time to talk to you today. Yes, thank you for having me. Oh, I forgot. I forgot one thing. Well, maybe you put it in the. We'll put it in the the. Uh, maybe I'll probably just, I'll just say in the presentation, which is that I used the Smithsonian for the, the book. They had all the information about Luzanne Mamer of the Electric Circus in the 30s. I'll have to say, I'll just have to say it in the, in the presentation. Well, we'll just leave that in right here and say my thanks to author Danielle Dreilinger, who will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates coming up. So please check out our website for more details. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience here on radio and podcast. I say this a lot, and I want to repeat it again today. Please, let's be safe. Let's be well. Let's also eliminate assault rifles. We don't need them in the hands of anyone but military. They're killing our children and grandchildren at the very place they learn, school. Let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody. Be well, and we'll talk next week.